There is a movie called Jeepers Creepers that came out in 2001. It's a horror movie, and there has been speculation that it's based on a true real-life story. The director has never outright said that it is, but after you hear this story, I think you might think otherwise. This is the story of Dennis and Marilyn Depew. Welcome back to the story of, I'm Regan Snyder, and I'm so glad you're here. We're going to throw it all the way back to the 90s, which only seems like 10 years ago, right? But it's actually been 30 years. 1991, March of 1991 is when this happened. Can you believe it's been over 30 years? Blows my mind. A woman named Mary was living her best normal life in Dallas, Texas. She lived with her boyfriend. His name was Hank Queen. What a name. But one night, Mary came home to Hank frantically running around the house and he was packing stuff up. And she's like, what are you doing? And Hank was like, my mom is really sick. I got to go see her. I don't, I just, I got to go. So can you make me some sandwiches? <laughs> she's like, okay, I guess. And he's like, yeah, it's just a long, a long drive. And it would be great if you could just pack me some stuff for the road. And so as he packed his stuff, Mary trudged into the kitchen to pack her, her sweet boyfriend, Hank Queen, some snacks and sandwiches for his little road trip to see his sick mom. But Mary had this weird feeling in the pit of her stomach. She felt like something was up. Something was wrong. Something was off. But Hank was frantic. He was just like, there was no stopping him. She, he was in a rush. She couldn't stop him to talk. And so she just did what he told her to do and uh, walked him out to his car and helped him pack it up before he gave her a quick little little peck on, on the lips. And she was like, can you at least give me a hug? So she pulls him in for this long hug and she just knew in her heart of hearts that she was never going to see this man again. About a year earlier on Easter Sunday of 1990, there was a couple named Ray and Marie Thornton who were out on their little Sunday drive. They were just kind of driving aimlessly through the, these quiet back roads where they lived. They lived in Coldwater, Michigan, and they were playing the license plate game. And if you don't know what the license plate game is, look it up. It's what we had to do before iPads. And so they're just, you know, having a good time bonding over license plates. And this van pulls up right behind them on this quiet two-way highway. And he's just tailing them. And they're like, what is this guy's deal? So he he's on their bumper for like two miles before he finally kind of aggressively swerves around them and takes off. And it was Marie's turn in the game, in the license plate game. And so she she took note of his his license plate on the the license plate on this van. It said G Z. And because, you know, Marie is so hilarious and clever, she goes, geez, he must be in a hurry. And so they go on their way and they're like, that was weird. What's the deal? That was kind of scary. But it wasn't long before they came up onto the van again. But this time, the van wasn't on the road. It was pulled over and it was parked in this 
abandoned schoolhouse's yard right between the schoolhouse and this big, like, tank thing. And as they drove by, Marie saw the guy who had been driving the van, and he was carrying what looked like a white sheet with blood stains on it. And so Marie is telling her husband, Ray, who's driving, what she's seeing. And she's like, uh, what do we do? This is something's going on. And so because it's the 90s and there are no cell phones, Marie pulls out her handy dandy notebook and starts to write down what she remembered seeing on his license plate. I mean, how could she forget with her her clever little joke? You know, Marie, she's always quick with a joke to light up your smoke. She starts jotting down what she can remember. And and then suddenly the van was behind them again. And this time it was following them closely like it like he had been before. But he stayed on them for a little while, like a scary while, a few more miles, I think. And and then he finally turned off onto the side of the road. And so Ray and Marie just kept driving and they're just trying to figure out what to do. They're like, we, you know, we got to tell police. We got to, what do we do? So they decided instead of going to find a phone right away, that they're going to be detectives. So they turn around to try to get this guy's license plate number. And I mean, this goes without saying, but if it were me, I would be scream crying for my husband to drive faster and get us home and let's lock our doors and call the police, but not Marie and Ray. So they drove back around and they see that the van is still pulled over on the side of the road. And the driver was out. He was behind the van. He was this tall guy. He was wearing a white hat and he was, he had the back doors of the van open and he was taking the license plates off. Marie also saw that the passenger's door was open and there was blood all over the interior of the door, the passenger's door. And I'm sorry, but Marie, you got to call the police, honey. Instead of going straight to do that, she was like, we got to go back to the schoolhouse. So Marie and Ray go back to the schoolhouse and they are going to do a little investigating to see what they can find out because they're like, okay, he was carrying a sheet with blood. Somebody's dead. Somebody must be dead. So they pull up to the schoolhouse, park their car, they get out and they're just walking around trying to find clues. And they see that that bloody sheet that Marie had seen was shoved into a hole in the ground that looked like an animal dug it. So it was just kind of haphazardly shoved in there. It was halfway sticking out of the ground. And and so they're like, oh, okay, yeah, he, he murdered somebody and he's trying to hide it. There was another couple that lived in Coldwater named Dennis and Marilyn Depew, and they had been married for 18 years. They had three kids. They had Jennifer, who was 18 at the time, Julie, who was 17, and Scott, who was 11. They had lived a relatively normal life. They're just another family trying to get through life. Dennis worked for the state of Michigan as a property assessor, and Marilyn had just earned her doctorate, and she was working as a high school guidance counselor. And Marilyn was good at her job. She was well-liked. She was good with the students, but she was pretty private. Not a lot of people knew what was going on with her and in her private life. Her friends and her co-workers had kind of learned that things weren't going great for Marilyn. 
in her marriage, but she was still, she didn't give a lot of information. And back then, I feel like it's more discussed now, domestic violence and domestic abuse and divorce and all that stuff is way more talked about now. This is back in the, I mean, 1990. So it wasn't, it was almost like put on a facade, make, you know, make sure every, everybody thinks that everything's great, which is crazy to me, but okay. So that sounds like that's kind of how it was for Marilyn and what she was doing. Dennis had just become very withdrawn and isolated over the years, and the kids just started to not like him. They didn't want to be around him. They didn't like spending time with him. And instead of taking responsibility, Dennis blamed Marilyn. He was like, you're telling the kids things about me. They don't like me because of you. And so in 1989... Marilyn was done. She decided that it was time for a divorce. She wanted to just move on with her life. She had a whole life ahead of her. Her kids were fairly grown. You know, she had raised her kids. She was not happy with Dennis anymore. She had a doctorate now. She had a a job she liked. She was just ready to cut ties and be done. And Dennis wasn't happy about this. He did not want a, a divorce. And so he kind of switched scripts on her. He he wanted to, I think he wanted to prove to her that he was a good guy. And so he gave her everything that she asked for in the divorce. You want the house? Sure, have it. But despite this, he still fought the divorce. He did not want to get divorced. Meanwhile, it was, I mean, it must have been pretty bad because Marilyn had a safety plan in place for if he showed up to her place of work. And her, her co-workers knew about it. And so they're like, what is, what's going on? Like, Marilyn is scared of her husband and she thinks he might come here. What's he going to do? So she had this plan all in place. And so it just, she moved forward with the divorce. And by December of that year of 1989, the divorce was finalized and Marilyn stayed in the house with the kids. They had this small guest suite, kind of like a, what do they call it? A mother, mother-in-law suite, whatever it's called. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, they have one of those on their property. And so the court granted access to that, to Dennis, so that he could work there. And, and so he did, but he, I think he mostly stayed there. And I don't know if he he lived there, if he slept there or what, but he kind of used it to keep tabs on his family and just to try to keep control over Marilyn and keep her under his thumb. Marilyn had changed all the locks on the house, didn't give keys to Dennis, yet there were days that she would come home and Dennis would be inside the house sitting on the couch or whatever, just hanging out in the house. Like he wasn't supposed to be there legally. He was not supposed to have access to it. He didn't have keys, so she didn't know how he got in, but it was just kind of creepy that he was doing that. So Easter morning of 1990, Dennis was on his way to pick up the kids, to spend time with them, spend the holiday with them. And I think Scott was sitting at the at the table, maybe doing some homework. They're all just, they knew he was coming, but they didn't want to go. The kids did not like him. They still didn't like him. I'm sure he got worse throughout the divorce and they just were over it. And so when he got there, Jennifer and Julie refused to go with him. They were like, we don't want to go and we're not going to. And, you know, the oldest, 
Jennifer, I think, is 18 now. And so technically she doesn't have to. But this sent Dennis into a rage. And so he goes over to Scott. And Scott doesn't like him either. But he's only 11. He's a little kid. And somebody's got to advocate for him, you know. And and so Dennis grabs Scott by the arm. And he's pulling him. And he's trying to get him out the door. And Scott's trying to fight him off. And Marilyn hears the commotion from the other room. And so Marilyn comes in and and she's trying to break it up and she's trying to talk to Dennis and have him respect Scott's feelings and just, you know, being a mom, like being a mama bear. That's her baby. As you can imagine, based on Dennis's previous behavior, faded quickly. And he's seeing and beating Marilyn right in front of his kids and at one point, he, I think he, he pushed her down some stairs, maybe into the basement. I'm not sure, but he pushed her down some stairs. I mean, he just snapped and all of this in front of the kids. These poor kids are watching their mom, who they love, get absolutely beaten to a pulp by, by their dad. And so Jennifer ran over to their neighbor's house to tell them what was going on. And they called the police. Meanwhile, Dennis was still hitting Marilyn, still hurting her, kicking her, punching her. By the time he he was done and kind of snapped back into reality, Marilyn was barely conscious. And so the kids are freaking out, obviously. And Dennis was like, listen, I'm going to take your mom to the hospital. And so he kind of scoops her up and she can't walk by herself. I think he's like helping her up the stairs And she was so out of it and so dazed that Julie tried calling to her when she walked by and she was like, mom, mom. And Marilyn couldn't even respond to her. And so she's out of it. So Dennis loads her up into his car and he takes off. By the time the police got to the house, Dennis and Marilyn were gone. And so the kids were like, this is what happened. He was beaten on her. They just got divorced. We didn't want to go with him. It sent him into rage. And, and now he's taking Marilyn or now he's taking our mom to the hospital. And so the police are like, okay. So they reach out to the hospital and they're like, hey, keep a lookout for this guy, Dennis. We, you know, we want to be ready to meet him there because he just beat the crap out of his wife. But to nobody's surprise, Dennis and Marilyn never showed up at the hospital. Instead, Dennis had driven a couple miles away from the house. And while he was driving, he shot Marilyn in the back of the head. And then he tried to hide the evidence by shoving a bloody sheet into that hole in the ground. I I am assuming that he used the sheet to move Marilyn's body and and then, you know, Ray and Marie Thornton, junior detectives, came upon the scene. And so they finally called the police, which I think was not long after Dennis and Marilyn had left the house. And so police are putting two and two together like, OK, we just had a domestic call. We're getting a call from this couple. So they go to the schoolhouse right away. And they cordoned it off and they discover the sheet with blood on it. And they found some tire tracks that would later be linked to Dennis. And so they're looking for Dennis. But Dennis was nowhere to be found. He was long gone. The police launched a search, but they he was gone. They couldn't find him. 
The day after Marilyn was killed, there were some road workers who discovered her body that he had just kind of left off the side of the road in some brush. Next, it was a quiet road, and it was halfway between her house and the schoolhouse where he left that sheet. And in the days following her murder, Dennis had obviously gone on the run, and he sent 17 letters, just rambling letters, to family and friends, and they were postmarked in Virginia, Iowa, and Oklahoma. So he was just, he was on the run. He was all over, all over the place. And these letters were just long rants trying to justify killing Marilyn and victim blaming, that whole thing. There was one letter that he sent to a coworker of his, and it said, quote, part of it said, quote, Marilyn had many, many opportunities to treat me fairly during this divorce, but she chose to string it out, trick me, lie to me. And when you lose your wife, children, and home, there's not much left. I was too old to start over, end quote. It wasn't until March of 1991 that the show Unsolved Mysteries released an episode about Dennis. Remember Unsolved Mysteries? Oh my gosh. I've been a Halloween girl since I was a little kid, and I used to love watching Rescue 911, Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, I loved it all. Anyway, so yeah, March 1991, Dennis's story was on there, and it was kind of like a, this guy's wanted, call us with any information. And Dennis, who was now living in Dallas, Texas with his girlfriend, under the name Hank Queen, saw the show. And he saw that episode and that's what sent him into a frenzy. And so it kind of seems like that's the reason he was like, hey, Mary, go make me some sandwiches so that she wouldn't turn on the TV and see the episode. He was trying to keep her in the dark, but it didn't matter because Mary's friend saw the episode and she made the connection. And so she called her information into the tip line and gave the operator his license plate number. I don't know how she had that or why, but she she gave it to him and told the operator where she thought that he might be going. And so four hours later, Dennis was located in Louisiana, just on the border of Mississippi. And I mean, he's screwed and he knows it at this point. He's trying to run again. Police are on to him. He's screwed. There's nothing he can do. But he was not going to go out without a blaze of glory. So instead of just surrendering, he sent the police on this high-speed chase for like 15 miles. He drove through two police barricades. I think he crashed into a couple cop cars. The police were shooting at his tires, and they did successfully puncture both of Dennis's back tires. And uh, so Dennis drove for another mile, half a mile, I think, on just the rims before the van finally stopped. And so he started shooting at the police through his windshield and through like a a rolled down window or an open door. I'm not sure before he ended up just turning the gun on himself. And so Dennis left his kids without a mom or a dad in one fell swoop. Let me know your thoughts on this story. Let me know if you think that Jeepers Creepers was inspired by this story. For pictures, more sources, and links, you can check out my website, thestoryofpod.com. It is in the process of being updated right now. We're a little bit behind. 
but you can find information on there. If you're happy and you know it, leave me a five-star review. I would appreciate it so much. I hope you have the best day slash night. Thank you for being here. I love you so much. Bye.